Good morning, family and friends. Welcome to the Foundry Church where we're all about a better you and a better world. My name is Seth, and you are at the party. You made it. You're here. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Very, very good. We are in a brand new series called A Better Way, and we're digging into this revolutionary teachings of Jesus that we've come to kind of casually call the Beatitudes. Now, uh, thus far, we've talked about the significance of the history, the context, the, the social structure and order of the day to help us understand how revolutionary these teachings were and why it would have been a challenge to the system in which Jesus was teaching these things in. And then last week, we looked at the very first Beatitude, which is blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor. And we talked about this idea of attachment and detachment and how it's only when we detach from the ego, from the self, and from the material things of this world that we will find this new kind of freedom, which is to experience the kingdom of heaven like in our present reality rather than some sort of future reward. So this week we move on to verse, or the second beatitude in verse 4, which says this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, you may have the thought, well, this should be pretty straightforward, right? Not so fast, my friends. This to me actually, like last week or the week before, raises a whole lot of questions. Uh, this verse often gets used in this nice little antidote, like when people are at the hospital or they've lost a loved one or you're at a funeral service or maybe you're talking about the year 2020, right? Have any of you felt like mourning, felt like there was a bit of heaviness in the entirety of this year that just causes something within you to want to weep? The idea being that we, we want to trust that in our pain or in a difficulty, in these things that we're dealing with, that, that God is going to be with us, which of course, absolutely, I 100% believe that. But there's a couple other questions that kind of come to mind in my, in my brain, like we, we talked about last week, that you could raise. Like, we learn that the word blessed in the Greek text is makarios. Makarios means to be happy. So, happy are those who mourn? Eh. For they will be comforted. Seems a bit weird. Like the other day, um, my son Elias, had a, he had a helium balloon, and he was running around the yard with it, and I was outside doing stuff, and he was running around the yard, and he was trying to jump off stuff and hope that it would float him up into the sky or whatever. And of course, eventually, the helium balloon released from his hand, and it took off into the great blue beyond. And he immediately, he got so, he got so upset about the whole thing. Like, I've he doesn't normally get like distraught, but he was distraught. I saw him on the other side of the yard. The balloon went up and he started screaming and yelling and running across the yard, dad. And if I hadn't have seen what had happened, I would have thought like maybe he got stung by a bee or something or like he would have, like there was something seriously wrong, but I saw it. And so he comes running to me. And what I didn't say when he came across the yard was, hey, buddy, why are you so happy? <laughs> hey, hey, it's okay, man. You're blessed. That bad thing happened. You're blessed. Don't... Actually, what happened was I was reminded of there's this Brian Regan bit. I don't know if you're familiar with Brian Regan, but he tells this joke about uh, how as parents, when, the, when a kid loses a balloon in that kind of situation, something like that, we are maybe not as empathetic as we should be. Uh, now, you know, we kind of push it off, blow it off. We'll get another balloon. It's not that big a deal. It's just a balloon, whatever. And he said, well, maybe we need to relate to the pain a little bit better. He said, imagine if you took your wallet out of your pocket 
and it began to float up into the sky out of your possession, you might, ah, wait, go back. Like you might feel the pain that the child was experiencing, right? Uh, I remember that, that, that little bit as he came running across the yard. And so when he got to me, we just, I, I hugged him. I said, hey, buddy, what's wrong? Well, my balloon. I said, it's okay. I said, we, we talked about like, how much the pain that he was experiencing. We talked about, I tried to put a positive spin on it. Oh, but look at the freedom the balloon has. I don't, like, he didn't really buy into it. He was still upset. So uh, th- there's all these questions to me when you look at this passage, blessed are those who mourn. You know, if you, if you put that in a, in a more serious context, when you think, I know we have people uh, right now from our church, people dealing with things in the hospital, d- people dealing with health issues, people dealing with finance issues, things that may be causing this deep, sense of hurt or pain or frustration, and I just think some, to, to come along and go, no, 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 you're happy, you're, you're happy in your morning, or you're blessed in this morning, like, sometimes that just doesn't seem to cut it. It seems to be a bit weak, and so are they really happy or blessed in these moments, for they will be comforted? Is it the, in the comforting that you find the happiness? Well, this bad thing has happened, and it's okay because I'll find comfort. Is the happiness in the morning or does the happiness come from the comforting in the morning? Sometimes I just think if somebody is really in a, in a heavy place to say get over it or it's not that bad, it, it seems a bit weak. Don't forget, blessed are those who mourn. Comes immediately after Jesus says, blessed are the poor and poor in spirit. Like, man, this Jesus guy, I don't know about this kind of message. Like, this is a bit depressing. Uh, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be sad and mourning all the time. So what do we, what do, we do with this? What, is there anything else going on here? What's this really all about? Because ultimately, we all know, you know, men don't cry. Real men don't cry. Crying and mourning, that's for women and babies and stuff. <laughs> like, so what, is this, what does this do? What does this mean? How, does, how do we connect to this? Well, let's start with the word blessed, which we talked about last week, makarios, which means happy. Okay, happy are those who mourn. The word for mourn in the Greek text is the word pentheo. Pentheo is the strongest word in the Greek text used for mourning. There, there's all different kinds of words that talk about crying, weeping, you know, whatever. Uh, but this word pentheo is like this deep, deep thing within your bones. It's the strongest word that they have. It's, it's this passionate lament that you would experience over somebody that you love very deeply who has died. That's what this word means when it says, happy, blessed are those who mourn, who are, who, who are carrying within them this deep sense of pain and hurt. And in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, originally written in Hebrew, translated to Greek, called the Septuagint. This word, pantheos, is actually used in Genesis 37 with the story of uh, uh, Jacob and Joshua. If you remember this story, he has the 12 sons, and then his most beloved son, Joshua, uh, his brothers don't like him. They try to kill him. Check this out. Genesis 37, verse 34. This is right after Jacob's son's tried to convince him that his youngest son was attacked by animals and killed. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. 
No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. This is a deep within the bones kind of ache, a deep sorrow that cannot be constrained. So happy are those who mourn? Happy are those who mourn like they're mourning the loss of someone that they have deeply loved. I mean, this is, this is heavy. I think sometimes maybe we read through this and kind of brush through it, but this is like a heavy sort of thing. So what I want to do today is I, I want to look at like three different ways that we can approach this passage, and then I want to look at three times in the scriptures that we see Jesus mourning or weeping or crying, and then hopefully that will bring us to some sort of like new thought, maybe a different thought, maybe a deeper thought on all of this. Okay, so the first way that we can come at this is like kind of straight, straightforward, head on, kind of a literal sort of thing. Uh, there's merit and wisdom to that, right? The idea being that it's only after we've gone through some stuff, it's only after we've gone through some difficulty that we can gain new insight or wisdom or perspective. If I hadn't gone through what I've gone through in my life, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Maybe you know this, you've experienced this, you've been through some stuff and you've gained the perspective and the wisdom on the other side. There's actually an ancient Arabian proverb that says this, all sunshine makes a desert. I thought that was pretty brilliant. All sunshine makes a desert. If a particular place has sun all day, every day, and there is no rain, there will be nothing to provide nutrients so that the things that are there can grow. And it's only when the rains come that the plants and the flowers and the fruits will flourish. Now, most of you live in Florida. I don't know where the people in the interwebs live. Most of you here live in Florida. Uh, You are familiar with the extreme amounts of heat and humidity. I heard today from Miss Barbara Thames that there was going to be a 106 degree heat index. What the heck are we doing here, people? We understand this heat. We feel the heat. we also understand that in the summer, at least, most days we're going to get some sort of thunder shower, a thunderstorm to help cut that heat a little bit, to help give us a little bit of reprieve, a little moment that we can breathe. Imagine if we lived in Florida and we had a 106 degree heat index on a regular basis, and then we never had the rain. <laughs> like, what would happen to this place? It would get dry and barren, and it might even get sandy. No, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. There are certain things that happen. There are certain things that can happen with the land that only happens when we get the rain. There are certain things that can happen with you that can only happen when we experience and go through some sort of difficulty, sorrow, maybe even mourning. Because it's in these moments, it's in this heaviness that we are broken down and then hopefully put back together again. And it's in the putting back together that we have this wisdom, this new insight, this new perspective. It's in these moments of sorrow that we see and experience new things. For example, it's in these moments that we may see and experience the kindness and the love of others. If you've ever gone through some sort of difficulty, maybe you're in the middle of it, maybe you're post the difficulty, you've gone through something difficult and you've had some friends or some family 
or some church people come alongside of you in the middle of that difficulty and you get to experience the depths of love in a new sort of way. Because these, these moments, the, the hard moments, they can be very powerful because the silly things of life kind of get stripped away. The, 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 uh, the fringe stuff gets stripped away and you get to experience and know the heart of the people around you. It's also through the sorrow that we can experience not just the love of others, but the love and compassion of God who always hears the cry, who always stands in solidarity with us. It's in these moments that we go through the difficulty that we're often drawn closer to God because we've got nothing else. And then we come away from the whole thing with this deeper connection to the one that sustains us. So our sorrow then has this place it becomes a place where we are laid bare, and then when we are opened up to these deeper things of life, yes, it can hurt, and yes, it can be painful, but sorrow just might be this classroom for your soul, a place to learn, a place to grow, a place to gain new perspective. I love the way the English poet uh, Robert Browning writes of sorrow. He says this, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chatted all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and nary a word she said, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow, oh, I messed that up. Dude, I, mess, I messed up the rhythm. Let me try that again. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. It's kind of a beautiful, way of thinking of it. He says, I, I, I've taken the route of pleasure and I, I didn't learn much from it. I mean, it was great, it was fine, it was wonderful. And, but the, the teacher, the learning comes from that, that deep place of hurt, pain, suffering, the sorrow. So we can take this passage, I think, you know, on, on, like, on this kind of surface level that like sorrow, mourning can become our teacher. Yeah, maybe, maybe there's the comfort in that, understanding that on the other side of this, there's something. You could also make a case for this passage being about the care and concern for others. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts with the Beatitudes, and in this teaching, he's essentially laying out a whole new plan for a whole new kind of world. We saw it last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And then he follows that with blessed are the Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So maybe this has something to do with our ability to care for the suffering and sorrows of others. The idea being that when we begin to view others and the world through the lens of God, and when we see the hurt and pain of God's creation and God's children, it should cause us to mourn. And that mourning is an indicator of our ability to align ourselves, our ability to connect to the heart of God. So when we see people starving without food, when we see people starving to death, when we see the destruction of war, when we see police brutality, when we see excessive greed, when we see homelessness, when we see children with no parents, when we see the exploitation and abu abuse of women, when we see the abuse of our natural resources, when we see the hate that people have for others because of the color of their skin or their political beliefs, absolutely we should mourn. Absolutely that should affect us deeply because I believe this deeply affects God. 
One of the major themes in the scriptures is this idea about God hearing the cry. God hears the cry of the oppressed, the marginalized, those who are struggling, those who are in need. If you go all the way back to the story of Abraham, Adam, and, Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel, when Cain kills Abel, it says the blood of Abel cries out from the ground. When the people are in, an ex, uh, in Egypt as slaves, the people cry out and God hears their cry. When the people are exiled in Babylon, they cry out and God hears their cry. In Exodus chapter 3, we see an example of this. Uh, the people are enslaved in Egypt. They cry out to God. Moses is standing at the burning bush having this conversation with the bush that's on fire. Apparently, he's okay with that. And this is what God says to him. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So there's something here about knowing that God hears the cry and the sorrows of his people, and that stirs something within him. And so when I am concerned with the misery and the suffering of others, it should stir something within me. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God hears the cry and responds. And so when we are tuned in and listening for the cry of others, it should cause us to mourn. And maybe our mourning is an indicator that our heart is aligned with the heart of God. And maybe when we understand that our heart is aligned with the very heart of God, maybe we find comfort in our mourning through this deep connection with our Creator. So you've got this idea of mourning as, as teacher. You've got this idea of mourning as an indicator of connecting with the heart of God. Uh, and then there's this other idea that, that maybe, maybe it has something to do with looking inward. Right? Yes, it can be about looking outward and seeing the hurt and pain of others and, and coming alongside of them, but maybe it can be seen as looking inward as well. Maybe there's some truth about mourning for the self. So uh, Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness for, for some 40, 40 days. And Matthew tells us um, about the message that Jesus begins to preach. It's like he's coming, he's coming out of the wilderness, and now this is his message. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent in the Greek is the word harmartia, which means to turn around, to change direction. Repent in the Hebrew text is the word teshuva, which means to return. So when, when it says Jesus' message was repent, when Jesus says repent, it's not condemnation, it's an invitation. You've been living your life in a particular direction, in a particular way, and you're being invited to turn from that way to come back to a different way. You're invited to, to return to the path that you're supposed to be on. You're, you're invited to come home, to come back to the way that you were actually created to live. The idea being that there's this path that you should be on and you veered off the path. When we veer off the path, there's this, there should be this self-introspection and realization in all the ways that, that we've missed the mark, right? It's this idea of the recognition of sin. What is sin? Sin means to miss the mark. When we realize that we're off the path, when we realize that we've missed the mark, it should stir something within us that will create a sense of sorrow. And it's through the acknowledgement that we've veered off the path that we can take steps to come back to it. So blessed are those who mourn, who realize their life isn't headed in the right direction, 
for they will be comforted. Because it's in these moments of repentance, of returning, of accepting the invitation to come back to the way you were created to live, that you will find nothing less than the infinite love of God. So maybe we take comfort in that. So blessed are those who mourn. It can be seen from this literal kind of perspective, allowing mourning to be your teacher. It can be this seen from the perspective of aligning your heart with the heart of God. And it can be seen and thought of uh, through the lens of, self, of the self and one's need to return to the life you were created to live. Now, I want to look at the three places that we see Jesus weeping, mourning, crying in the text, okay? So the first one is this, uh, John 11. This is the death of Lazarus, one of Jesus' good buddies. Uh, he gets sick, he dies, Jesus isn't there, and then this is what happens. John 11. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The word for wept here is the word dakuro, which means to shed tears, but it's kind of this inward sort of thing. He's crying, but the, the thing that's happening is, is moving within him. So Jesus shows up onto the scene, and he sees the family. He, he loses a loved one. He sees the family that is mourning, and it stirs something within him, and he mourns with them. In Luke 19, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's getting ready for what's known as the triumphal entry, the last like, moments, last days before his life. And we see this, Luke 19, 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, now, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The word for wept here is the word klyo, which is to sob or to wail aloud. So Jesus approaches the city. He sees the city and begins to weep loudly, to mourn, to wail about this whole thing. I find this one really interesting when you consider the history and the context of the situation. Remember, Israel is under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They're facing these huge taxation rates. They have these promises from the, from the Old Testament, from their teachings, about the one who would come and save them. They're looking for the Messiah, except their understanding of what the Messiah would do, the Savior, would come, he would raise up an army, and they would fight back against these oppressors. They would spill the Romans' blood. And that just wasn't the kind of revolution that Jesus was going to lead. Jesus was going to lead a revolution of love, and in the revolution of love, there is no place for violence and bloodshed. On top of that, when you go back to like their original calling, when God brings them out of Egypt, before they get into the wilderness, they're standing at Mount Sinai, and God says to them, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does the priest do? The priest puts the divine on display. If you want to know what the God that the priest is serving is like, you just watch the priest. So the idea is that this will be a whole nation of people who will be showing the rest of the world what their God is like. So at this point in the story, Jesus sees Jerusalem and he sees a people who have lost their way, who have misunderstood their role, who have misunderstood their God and now believe that in fact it's violence that will help move them forward. Jesus says, if you had only known on this day what would bring you 
peace. It's not all the stuff you think. It's, it's something else. It's this new kingdom. It's this better way that I'm trying to teach you about. So he's mourning over these people who have lost their way. In Hebrews, we have another passage. Hebrews 5 talks about a time, times that Jesus cried during his ministry. Hebrews 5, 7 says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition, petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard uh, because of his reverent submission. So there's different places these guys are talking about. Like he was spending this time crying, weeping, praying to God. Uh, one of these places is believed to be Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch what happens. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus has this sorrow within his soul, and it seems to have something to do with following the will of God. If it's possible, take this from me. I don't really want to do this. So there's this heaviness, maybe even this mourning over wanting to be able to carry out the will of God. So you've got these three kind of ways of looking at this blessed are those who mourn passage. And then you've got these three instances that we see Jesus mourning, weeping, crying. Let me show you one more passage here, and then we'll, we'll try to start wrapping this up and make some sense of it. In 1 John 4, John is talking about the love of God, and he says something, he says some incredible things in this passage, but he says something very interesting towards the end of this. Take a look. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. So God is love. God loves us. When we love others, the love is made complete. Whoever lives in God, God lives in them. Whoever loves, lives in God, and God lives in them. And in this world, we are like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Well, Jesus, we know, was one with the Father, was one with God, and God is love. So Jesus, then, is this embodiment of love. And you, when you love, are like Jesus. How do we see Jesus responding in these situations where we see him weeping, mourning, crying? How do we see love responding to these situations? In the story of Lazarus, we see love coming alongside of those who have lost a loved one. 
We see love coming alongside of them and empathizing with them and mourning with them. Right there in the middle of this heavy moment, there is love. In the story of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, we see love taking a moment to weep and mourn over people who have lost their way and who are living with this false ideal of what freedom looks like. In the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see love wrestling with God. We see love being open, uh, be, being open to pouring itself out for the sake of all. He says, not my will, but yours. So our, our whole series is called A Better Way. We're looking at the Beatitudes. Last week, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about this idea of attachment and detachment, that we are easily attached to the self. We are easily attached to the material things of this world and how it's only when we detach from the self and from the stuff that we can experience the freedom from the world as it currently is. And in doing so, we can now step into the actual freedom that is experiencing the kingdom of heaven here and now. Then Jesus follows, blessed are the poor and poor in spirit, with blessed are those who mourn. And so maybe the idea is that when we detach from the self and from the stuff, we are now fully open to experiencing the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God that is built on, driven by, and operates out of love. The kingdom of God. God is love. The kingdom of love. Stay with me, quick recap and an ending. We talked in the beginning about how the phrase, blessed are, the more, blessed are those who mourn, can be taken in these three different ways. That mourning can be served as a, uh, seen as a teacher. That mourning can be the indicator of our heart's alignment with the very heart of God. That mourning can be seen through the lens of self-introspection. That could be the catalyst that would cause us to repent, to return to God who is love. We looked at the three examples of the times Jesus is crying, weeping, mourning, where he's concerned, where he's moved. We see the passage in John where we see that God is love. Jesus is one with God. We see these examples of what Jesus is like are these examples of what love is like and how love responds to the human condition. And then we see that in this world we are like Jesus. So maybe the idea here is that when I let go of the self and when I let go of the stuff, I'm free to be open to this kingdom of love. And when I am free to be open to this kingdom of love, when I am like Jesus and love is the essence of my being, this whole concept of blessed are those who mourn isn't just like one of these three different things. It's, it's all of it. It's all of it because it's love that allows me to walk through the difficulty and to mourn and to trust and understand that there will be wisdom and growth and knowledge on the other side of it. Love should cause you to mourn as you go through the difficulties of life because it's love that allows you to know the value of life. So maybe the comfort 
is that love understands that there's something on the other side of the difficulty that you're currently facing. It's also love that allows me to view people as God views people. And so when I see or experience God's children in some sort of hurt, pain, suffering, it should cause me to respond. It should cause me to come alongside of them in their mourning. It should cause me to mourn with them because I've heard the cry. Because God hears the cry. The God who is love always hears the cry and I am aligning my heart with the heart of God so I should be able to hear the cry. Absolutely, we should mourn over those who are hurting. We should mourn over a people or a nation or a system that have lost its way. We, love should cause you to mourn over the state of our country. It should cause you to mourn over the state of our world. It's love that allows me to take inventory on the condition of my heart, to see all the places that I haven't fully turned over to love, to God. So it's love mourning these places that love hasn't taken over yet. See, these are all the things that Jesus, who is the embodiment of love, mourned over. And in this world, you are like Jesus. So maybe the beautiful thing here in this, in the morning, is that when we detach from the self, when we detach from the stuff, we are now free to enter the kingdom of God that is the kingdom of love. We are free to experience and to be the embodiment of love. So maybe rather than seeing mourning as something that we desperately want to avoid or that we're afraid of or that we... Maybe mourning is the very thing that allows us to experience this deeper reality of love. 1 John 4 also says, to know love is to know God. Which is to say that maybe the blessing and the comfort of those who mourn is that it's in this mourning that it brings us to this deeper reality of love, which is in fact the very presence and reality of God. It's our mourning that ushers us into the very presence of God. And maybe when we come to see and understand that it's these things that usher us into the very presence of God. Maybe it's being in the very presence of God that we will find the ultimate sense of comfort. And maybe that, my friends, is a better way. <laughs>